0: This episode is brought to you by GoSim. Start saving 85% on calls while traveling abroad by visiting gosim.com slash bestoftheleft. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, It's All Politics, The Young Turks, The Tom Hartman Program, The Colbert Report, The Rachel Maddow Show, On the Media, La Show, and a bonus clip today for our iPhone app users from The Daily Show.
1: Carl, what did you dream of first? Well, I'm in Massachusetts, and I'm naked. And I'm driving a
2: pickup truck, and Ted Kennedy steps into the street. And I swerve to get
1: around, and I run over the Attorney General, Martha Coakley. So who was Carl in that dream? I'm guessing Scott Brown? Yes, Scott Brown, of course. He is the new star of the Republican Party. Massachusetts State Senator Scott Brown won the Senate seat held by Ted Kennedy for 40 years and JFK before him. Brown is a handsome Republican. He's a former centerfold model. He was losing by 10 points just a month ago and then had this historic victory. This will cause a sea change in American politics as both parties start leafing through Playboy and Playgirl. (laughs) They'll say, oh, no, we're just reading it for the candidates. Now, his his upset victory was credited in part to his opponent, Martha Coakley. Experts agree she was the least charismatic Democratic Senate candidate since Mel Carnahan in 2000, and he was dead. (laughs) (laughs) And he won anyway. (laughs) Now, despite this victory... Republicans have a problem, they still don't have a national leader, and that is a problem because now the Democrats don't know exactly to whom they should surrender.
3: Well, you know, there's that fond dream now that someday, far in the future, maybe the Democrats will have majorities in both the House, Senate, and be in the White House. No, it couldn't happen. Clearly it's not happening now, but someday, maybe.
1: Liberals, of course, are disgusted with the congressional Democrats, and they've started a movement to elect somebody with more guts, say, any random Girl Scout troop. <laughs> the French army <laughs> or actual lemmings.
4: <laughs>
0: because they, so when they run, they run. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Unlike Martha Glover, who just sort of sat there. <laughs> lemmings waiting for a rock to fall on them. <laughs>
3: We talked about Ted Kennedy's seat, and I think that's one of the reasons that Scott Brown uh, hit a nerve in Massachusetts, because that big banner that Scott Brown was declaring victory on Tuesday night, it's the people's seat. It's not Ted Kennedy's. It's not Benjamin Smith II. It's not Paul Kirk. It's not John Quincy Adams, who also held the seat. It's the people's seat, and I think that was a big deal. Plus, and we've mentioned this on the podcast before, when Paul Kirk, the interim appointee, said that even if Scott Brown wins this election, I'm going to vote for health care, people complain that our elected officials don't represent us, here we are, Paul Kirk, telling the people of Massachusetts, even if you're against health care, and I'm not sure if this was a referendum on health care or not, but even if you're against the health care plan, it doesn't matter. Even if Scott Brown wins and you vote for him and you elect him and all that stuff, I'm voting for it.
5: And I think there was some discussion of the Democrats trying to have some more votes on health care in the Senate before Scott Brown took the seat. In other words, delay his certification as the new senator just long enough to have the final votes on health care and get the bill through. It was clear that that was going to be a controversial kind of move. And now, as we know, the president and Harry Reid and everybody else all lined up and said, nope, we're not going to do that. We're not going to jam it through. It is still possible that the House could simply accept the Senate bill and obviate a conference
3: and obviate any further votes by the Senate, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Yeah, on Tuesday night actually, when Jim Webb, the moderate centrist uh, Democratic senator from Virginia said, we should not have any votes on health care at all until Scott Brown is seated, I think whatever plans, conspiratorially or not, that Harry Reid may have had about delaying Scott Brown squaring in uh, fell by the wayside.
5: So now we have a Senate in which no one thinks there are 60 votes for the Democrats. I think we could argue that through the last several months, it's been a question mark whether there were 60 votes for the Democrats. I mean, they were relying on Joe Lieberman. They were relying on Ben Nelson. Sometimes those guys kind of went on their own direction. Joe Lieberman changed radically the nature of the Senate bill when he personally forced them to take out the public option. That's why one reason the House can't just vote on the Senate
3: bill and accept it. First of all, there's tons of objections that House Democrats have, not only with other House Democrats, like on the Stupak Amendment, but with Senate Democrats on public option, on taxes, and things like that. But the Democrats had 60 votes, I guess, since Arlen Specter switched, and since uh, um, Al Franken was sworn in. And not that eight months is a long time, uh, plenty of time to pass a health care bill that has been stymied for 50 years, but when you think of the selfishness of the Ben Nelson, the Joe Liebermans, the Mary Landrews, the people who ought to be cajoled, persuaded, bought. Bought? I mean, bought. Well, yeah. They had to wait for a, a wake-up call in Massachusetts. I mean, look, Joe Lieberman ultimately came on board. Nelson came on board. Landrew came on board. And they probably all
5: expected to do so sooner or later, but they were exacting their price first. They didn't care about the let's get this done before November, or for that matter, the August deadline initially. I think that was probably always unrealistic, but they didn't care about November. They didn't care about the Christmas deadline, which looked like a pretty big one, end of the year, they were willing to push this all the way to the brink, partly, largely, because they, and we, and virtually everyone else, saw no chance that this special election in Massachusetts was going to go the way that
3: it did. You think of all the smart people who ran the Obama campaign, that they knew everything what to do, they outsmarted Hillary Clinton, they outsmarted uh, John McCain, they knew exactly about the caucus system, about where the delegates were, how to win this, and yet You could blame an inept candidate in Martha Coakley, but you could also blame the Democratic National Committee, the DSCC, the Obama White House, saying, how could we never see this coming, and why do we suddenly have to have panic about health care on January 19th when we still had plenty of time to pass it and we couldn't pass it? And also, though, I think there's another fundamental question here. Why is 59 not
5: a majority out of 100, not enough votes to pass a piece of legislation? Isn't that something? Well, it is clearly a function of the United States Senate's rules. And the fact that you can have unlimited debate and you can completely tie up a bill with just the threat of unlimited debate, also known as a filibuster, and as a result, Harry Reid is not willing to force those 40, 41 Republicans, however many, to actually
3: filibuster. Right. Remember when Jim Jeffords switched from the Republican Party to become an independent in 2001? Mm-hmm. It was a 50-50 Senate, and then it suddenly became a 51-49, and it's, oh my God! Oh, my, the, the, the Democrats have a majority! Now o- they only have 59 now. This <laughs> is just unbelievable! Well,
5: here's the difference. At that time, all they were really trying to to do is resist George W. Bush. Now they're trying to pass what has to be called an ambitious agenda. They're trying to revise the way health insurance and therefore the way the health care delivery system works. They're trying to re-regulate the financial industry. They're trying to push through a climate change bill with cap and trade or whatever other system it has in it. That's a big, big tough push. They want to perhaps do another stimulus bill that would have to be put largely on the cuff because they don't want to pass tax increases. They want to tackle immigration in 2010. How can they possibly... They've forgotten about talking about some of big labor's agenda like the card check bill. I mean, they've forgotten about some of these aspects, but they are still trying to do the biggest, most ambitious elements of the president's agenda.
6: Mind the Democrats today—a very important number. You still have 59 senators; they only have 41. Today, it's like the end of the world to the Democrats, and it says if the Republicans regain the majority, they're still down 18 senators. Are you kidding me? Do you know what the Republicans would do with an 18 senator advantage? They would pass. Any damn bill they wanted to. There isn't a goddamn thing you could do about it. They would steamroll your ass. And you know what they would get ironically along the way? I know this because it happened from 2000 to 2008 and I watched it happen. They would get bipartisanship. Because then they say, all right, I'm going to create the uh, world's largest tax cut. Who's with me? If you're not, you want to raise taxes and you're a goddamn Democrat. And you're raising taxes on the American people. And what happened? The corporate Democrats, well, go. I want to cut taxes anyway. That's what the lobbyists want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're scaring me. Okay, I vote with you. I'm going to invade Iraq. Shut up and vote with me, otherwise you're unpatriotic. And what happened? He got all those Democrats to vote for Iraq. You see, what Obama's missing, and this is very important, is that the American people like strength out of their politicians and their leaders. Okay. And all Obama's done in the first year, and and why he's getting his ass kicked right now, is exhibited weakness. I hate to tell you that, but it's absolutely true. You know what he's done in this effort to reach out to Republicans? Unilateral disarmament. He said, "Okay, I'm gonna put down all my weapons. I'm not gonna make any arguments against you. I'm not gonna debate you, uh, and you can make any argument you like against me. If it's right, if it's wrong, if it's vicious." If it's ridiculous, oh I wasn't born in this country, I'm gonna kill your grandparents. it doesn't matter. you make any damn argument you like and on the other hand, I'm not going to respond because I'm trying to be bipartisan. Well that's not being bipartisan. that's being a fool. okay unilateral disarmament has never worked and will never work in the future. Here's what Obama has to do instead. Come out and say, you know what I am? I'm a goddamn Democrat. I'm gonna tell you why being a Democrat is the right way to go, okay? Because we take on power, we represent the little guys. We brought you Social Security. We brought you civil rights. We brought you Medicare. We brought you everything that has worked in this country. And those sons of bitches fought against everything because they're in the back pocket of Wall Street and corporate America. Okay? And there's a reason why you should vote for us, and a reason why you should vote against them. Barack Obama, if you don't make that case, then why would people vote for you? Of course, they're going to vote for the other guy. You're not making your case. You need to have the strength and the courage and the fortitude to go and make a case to the American people and say, you know what? You need to vote for us instead of them. You need to vote. You need to support our politicians so we can get real legislation, real change passed. If he does not go in that direction and he once again chooses weakness and he once again chooses to reach out to the right wing, there will be an Absolute democratic bloodbath in 2010, and ironically, they will hand back power to the very people who want to protect the establishment the most. So those are the choices laid out for you, Obama. Now you don't believe me? Well, you go another direction and see the kind of disaster you're headed for. But we're going to find out next week when he does the State of the Union, which direction he's going. And I can I'm telling you right now, I don't know. I'm you know. If history is a guide of how he's, you know, gone about things in the last year, we're in for a lot of trouble. But remember, he is a savvy politician, and if this wasn't a wake-up call to him, Massachusetts, well, then maybe he's not as savvy a politician as we suspect.
7: Uh, we had, uh, we, you know, we have a comment line. People call in and leave comments, and we play, occasionally play them as mailbag alerts. Here's an, here's one from yesterday that is a classic demonstration of the position that the corporatist Democrats are taking that you know we should be lockstep with the Democratic Party and their friends in the, the lobbyist friends like the ones who are supporting Martha Coakley we should be lockstep with them come hell or high water here you go
2: hey Tom I hope you're happy now uh your constant bashing of Obama from the left has now uh, created a situation where the democratic agenda is kaput from the left of uh, 41 Republican the democratic agenda now huh? our credibility destroyed obama credibility injured. now destroyed and uh, so there's no health care no agenda uh hope you're happy um, he came in with two wars, worst economy in 80 years with, a, with, with Republicans attacking him in every way possible. And what did the left do? They attacked him as well. You couldn't give the guy a few months to, to try to, you know, define himself. We you had to certainly help the gave Republicans him a few months. We gave him 12 him months. And destroy him before he could get started. Uh, in your effort to purify Obama to, to get you what you want, now you get nothing. I hope you're happy. Yeah, so this
7: is this is the kind of pathetic perspective that is being put forward by the corporate Democrats who are saying, Oh, look at the Republicans are winning. We need to just crawl into the corner. We need to be we need to be so careful we can't say anything critical of the president. Oh my god. Here's what's actually happening in the real friggin' world. In the midst of huge and massive Economic crisis. Millions of people are reeling from job losses, home foreclosures, evictions, cuts to education and social services. as, As all of this is going on, the traders and executives at the top 38 Wall Street banks took in nearly $145 billion. This is paychecks. The top executives and traders, $145 billion, a billion is a million dollars, a thousand times over. That's like winning the million dollar jackpot 145,000 times at 38 Wall Street banks just this last year, following the biggest bank bailout in history. This is up 6% from the previous record of $137 billion, set in 2007 during the bubble year of the Bush economy. J.P. Morgan's profits up $11.7 billion last year, almost double its best profit of $5.6 billion in 2008. Despite Obama's tough talk against Wall Street abuses, banks used bailout money, our money, to acquire failed banks at bargain prices and post record profits, giving out giant bonuses while working people see no relief. Everybody knows it. Over 45 million individuals lack health insurance coverage of any kind during 2008. And, and it took a year of dithering, and single-payer single advocates were put in, gra- dragged off and put in jail for trying to speak out in front of Max Baucus's committee. We all watched the corporate takeover of the so-called Democratic agenda. I'm sorry, buddy, but if that's the Democratic agenda, if this Senate bill is the Democratic agenda, you can have it. One in five working age American men right now don't have a job. The federal uh, mortgage modification program collapsed. Instead of declining the number of foreclosed homes in the United States last year rose to a record 2.8 million. A 21 percent rise over 2008, a 120 percent rise over 2007 according to RealtyTrack. Foreclosures in the first quarter of 2009 jumped 18 percent over the same period last year. Now given this Consider, Franklin Roosevelt, in the second week of his presidency, people say, "Oh, you're not giving Obama enough time. If you listen to this program regularly, you have heard me probably a thousand times say, I'm still hoping, I'm still waiting, let's just give him a little more time, particularly during the first six months. In the second week of Franklin Roosevelt's presidency, he had up and running the Civilian Conservation Corps, which ultimately hired several million people to plant trees all over the United States and 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 basically make the government the employer of last resort and what did the democrats do the new democrats in, in kowtowing, I mean, you've got a bunch of progressive, there are some good and progressive Democrats in the Senate, but because they, they thought they had to have 60 votes, they had to kowtow to Joe Lieberman, they had to kowtow to Ben Nelson, they had to do the Mary Landrew dance, right, because they had to go along with Blanche Lincoln, because they thought maybe, maybe, maybe they could get Olympia Snowe's vote. A third of the $800 billion stimulus bill was tax cuts, which produced almost no stimulus, but you know they help millionaires and billionaires you think the average american realizes that they actually got a tax cut from obama i don't think so the 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 obama white house has not been marketing the things that they have done as tepid as they are and the things that they haven't done are increasingly infuriating americans right across the board
0: You're probably aware that if you use your cell phone while traveling abroad, you're going to get raked over the coals with roaming charges. Well, I want to give you another option. GoSim is a company that provides international SIM cards you can use in your own phone and load with prepaid minutes that save you about 85% on those international calls. The minutes never expire and can be used in 175 countries. In fact, in 75 countries, including all of Europe, you can receive calls and text messages for absolutely free. I sincerely encourage you to check out the deal at the special URL Gosim.com slash best of the left. Be sure to use this address so they know I sent you go sim slash best of the left. The Democrats are being completely
8: undermined by the only thing that could jeopardize their being in power. Their being in power. <laughs> they have risen to great heights only to fall, folks. They're like Icarus flying too close to the sun. Plus, naked guys wearing wings, kinda gay. (laughs) They lost the Massachusetts Senate seat, which can only mean one thing for the Dems. Is the Democratic majority
9: at risk in the House? I think everything's at risk.
6: In retreat, the President and Democratic leaders
10: are scrambling to salvage something. The Democratic Party is collapsing.
8: Yes, the Democrats are totally collapsing with only the presidency, a 70-seat majority in the House, and an 18-seat majority in the Senate. Right, pundits?
3: In order to get anything important passed in the Senate, you need 60 votes. It takes about 60 votes to get almost anything done in the Senate.
8: It's such a key Senate seat, uh, moving Democrats into what's essentially, uh, you know, a, a bit of a minority. Yes, uh, my calculator agrees, 41 is more than 59. (laughs) And this is the calculator I use to do my taxes. Well, the Democrats' problem is all thanks to the filibuster, a time-honored Senate procedure in which the minority party blocks a bill by staging endless speeches like when Jimmy Stewart did it in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington (laughs) and the time Strom Thurmond staged a record-setting filibuster in 1957 to block the Civil Rights Act. By the way, when he began talking, he looked like this. (laughs) But... They they grow up so fast. But, folks, the filibuster rules changed in the 1970s. Now, all you have to do is threaten to filibuster. It's really better for everyone. I mean, Joe Lieberman threatened to filibuster the public option, and no one wants to see what he looks like after 36 hours of no sleep. Now some say the filibuster is a recipe for endless gridlock after all what's to stop the dems from filibustering everything the next time they're out of power only one thing democrats are pussies <laughs> so how will the democrats overcome a majority in both houses here to tell us is former clinton advisor and cnn political contributor mr paul Bagala. paul thank you so much for thank joining you, me Glad to see you again. Thank you. Now, Paul, how bad of a week was this for the Democrats? Well,
9: I mean, it's terrible if you lose in Massachusetts and you're a Democrat.
8: Yeah, Massachusetts has spoken for the entire country. <laughs> the entire country wants Scott Brown to drive his truck to Washington and run over the health care bill. <laughs> The math, though,
9: has not changed very much. Your calculator not was No, did you want, you want to try? <laughs> they have, no, no. Uh, they've gone from the largest congressional majority in 32 years to the second largest congressional majority in 32 years. They're still, still capable of running the government.
8: Sec- second place is, is losing.
9: <laughs> They're losing. Well, they only need to do three things, and they have to do all three attack, attack, attack. You need to get their ass on the offense and keep it there. They're not okay, the ones okay, who rule okay. the country. Well, They're I, trying to that, it. I can, that I can you know? respect,
8: okay, because I believe that Washington is like a prison. Obama should have come in <laughs> on yes. day one, picked the biggest guy in the yard, and just jacked Pick him his in his the ass. next week. <laughs> Looked around the room and said, anybody want a piece that of that? Beautiful. Then... <laughs> then... Then you make with the nicey-nicey, right? (laughs) But he didn't do it, and now his enemies have defined him. It's over. (laughs) He said he would rather be a good Mm -hmm. one-term president than a mediocre two-term president. What about a great one-year president? Yeah. (laughs) No, the truth is he has a four-year no-cut contract.
9: And I think he's got world enough in time. He can come back from this. But he is going to have to fight. Let's see tomorrow night the State of the Union address. Maybe he'll do that. He'll what's see, he'll, he going to have to
8: say he's to, to climb get this thing back? climb down and
9: John Boehner right uh,
8: in the face of House Republican leader. John Boehner? Uh, His like fist is going to come back kind of orangey. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, 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 what's he going to do? Is he going to is he gonna cut the health care bill down to what Republicans will agree on? Because I, 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 I have a copy. I have a copy <laughs> right here. Exactly,
9: yeah, that, that's exactly right. I don't think there's any hope for bipartisanship and, and a lot of people in the punditocracy are saying well they should get at least one Republican that will make it bipartisan you know I mean I say gracias to the guy at Taco Bell that does not make me bilingual okay I think that they they it doesn't one one, one Republican down there bipartisan <laughs> um,
8: this analogy is getting complex but Go a, ahead. It's, 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 I'm not sure if I can uh, keep up with this uh,
9: no I think they can still pass their health care bill it's already passed the Senate and it's passed the House if this House can accept the Senate version, we have health care reform. But more fundamentally, I think what the president needs to do is define how we got here. You know, in his first State of the Union address, Ronald Reagan said this. He said, we cannot understand our State of the Union today or where we want to go tomorrow until we first look at how we got here. And then he spent the next five or ten minutes just dumping on the Democrats and blaming them for all his economic problems. Why can't to play at that game? Why can't President Obama say, you know, too, they destroyed the too, country and I'm trying to fix it? He's already
8: done that. He's been saying that for the past year and now he's he being called, called on blaming. It. Are you kidding? He, he should. I just said that he did. <laughs>
9: <laughs> <laughs> he should not only point fingers, he should point all 10. Uh, and and uh, Rahm Emanuel has a half a finger back on his desk. He could point 10 and a half.
8: Exactly. Um, I actually have that at, down do too. too. Uh,
9: yes, it is true That the Republican economic philosophy ruined this country, and this poor president inherited and trying to fix it, what's wrong with making that case? Because the truth is, it's not just retrospective. If the Republicans were to come back in power, what would they do? Deregulate Wall Street, cut taxes for the rich, set up a casino economy, playing Russian roulette with our money. Let the free
8: market fix everything, defeat the communists again. (laughs) Paul, last question. Would there be any of this trouble... If Crossfire was still on the air.
9: (laughs) I'm still happily employed by CNN. I'm happy to be there. Thank you so
8: much. Paul Begala, CNN, happily
3: employed.
6: Thinking,
4: how well, they thought that we should be remembered. Feeling, love might be you, that ain't me. And you say, Don't you want to be like that man? Oh, no, no, no. Then he cracks at smiling, that don't look so bad yeah,
11: yeah, yeah. Joining us again from Washington, D.C., is Pennsylvania Governor Ed Rendell. Governor, thanks for staying with us. On the issue of the uh, Massachusetts election uh, last night, with Scott Brown defeating Martha Coakley, the Democrat, there, seems to be a fight among Democrats today as to how to respond to that. There's the sort of dial back the agenda and lay low crowd, voiced by Evan Bayh, Joe Lieberman, and others. And then there's the get something done now crowd. Where where are you on this?
4: I'm in the get something now crowd, and it's time for us to fight back. We have been in everything. I I heard your piece about the uh, TSA guy who didn't get confirmed. It's time to us—for us to fight back. Look, if we're going to go down in 2010, let's go down doing something and fighting for things that we believe in as Democrats. Health care is number one. I'd do one of two things right now, either what Howard Feynman says, piece it out, give them no pre—no one can be denied for preexisting condition no one can be dropped when they get sick and take away the antitrust exemption. Dare Republicans and conservative Democrats to vote against that bill. I do that. And if we pass that, then the health insurance companies will be coming back to the Republicans and the the conservative Democrats and saying you've got to pass the rest of this stuff, because we need to have everybody insured to make it work financially. It would be a beautiful stratagem. But second, if we don't want to do that, then let's pass, let's get the conference committees together, get the best health care bill we can and go back to the Republicans and say to them, okay, folks, it only takes 51 to pass. It may take 60 votes to stop a filibuster. Game on. Go filibuster before the American people. Stand there for four days, five days, six days, eight days, ten days. Read the telephone book, and let's see what the American people think about it after you're done give them your ideas. Let's force them to, 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 to do it. I mean, you don't need 60 votes to pass legislation. You need 51. You only need 60 votes to stop a filibuster. If we make them filibuster, put the onus on them to explain to the American people why they're doing it. Let's, and again, if we're going to go down, and I don't believe we necessarily are going to go down, but let's go down fighting for the things we believe in, and we've always believed in health care for all. Hey, when Medicare was proposed, it was unpopular among the people. They didn't understand it, and it was unpopular. Social Security, the same thing. Let's go down fighting for what we believe in, and if we lose, we'll have lost for something worthwhile, and my guess is... We won't lose because we'll get things done and we'll win.
11: Bingo. <laughs> the last point. That's how you win is by actually... Uh, Doing something. That's, it,
4: yeah. that's what we're elected to do, to do something. <laughs>
10: Scott Brown's victory gave pundits an opportunity to punditize about narratives that may or may not exist. The special election in Massachusetts had one piece of political reality at stake that couldn't be simpler. The 60th vote for the Democrats In the Senate. You will recall, of course, that the Senate needed 60 votes to pass their bill. Leaving Democrats
1: with
12: less than the necessary 60 votes to push through health care reform. In the U.S.
0: Senate, as you know,
12: you need basically 60 votes to get
0: anything
10: done. 59 votes is close, right? But close only counts in horseshoes. But with all the attention on what that 60th vote means for the Democrats, there's been very little coverage of why that magic number is 60. In fact, a bill needs only 51 votes to pass the Senate, a simple majority. 60 votes refers to the number of senators needed to end debate and stop a filibuster. If you've seen the movie Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, you know how a filibuster works. Essentially, a small number of senators, sometimes just one, can stop legislation in its tracks by going into the well of the Senate and talking until the bill dies. It's an old procedure and a part of Senate tradition, though the exact rules have changed over the years, including most critically the fact that the senators no longer have to actually stand up and talk. But usage of the filibuster has skyrocketed in recent years. In the 1960s, a filibuster, or the threat of one, prevented just 8% of major legislation from becoming law. In the 80s, that percentage rose to 27 After the 2006 elections, it went up to 70%. And in 2009, Republican senators used the threat of a filibuster on almost every piece of major legislation. James Fallows, National correspondent for Atlantic Magazine, says this cripples the legislative process and that the media need to do a better job of pointing out the change. He joins me now. Hey, Jim, welcome back to the show.
12: Uh, Thank you very much, Bob. Nice to talk to you.
10: We all learned in civics class that a simple majority was all that was required in each House of Congress for a piece of legislation. But I want to play a piece of tape from The David Letterman Show, where a man with whom you may be familiar had uh, this to say. Uh, being a senator has been terrific. Uh, we are now in the majority, which means uh, at least we can stop some bad things from happening in the Senate you need um, in, the, in the Senate though, you need sixty votes to get uh, to actually get a bill passed mm-hmm. now that must have surprised many Americans, contradicting as it did what we 'd been taught since about the third grade. How did a procedural rule of the Senate? come to be a de facto requirement for getting legislation through the Congress.
12: There were two really significant dates in the modern history of the filibuster. One was in 1975 when the preceding practice for many, many decades, which is that it took 67 votes to break a filibuster, but it had to be a real one with people giving real speeches. That was replaced by a kind of gentleman's agreement where it only took 60 votes to break a filibuster, but the opponents didn't have to actually do anything. They could just file a little notice saying, we oppose this coming to the floor.
10: So no need for a uh, Jimmy Stewart, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, stem winder on the floor of the Senate.
12: Uh, Yes, and like Strom Thurmond, when filibustering against the civil rights legislation in the 50s and the 60s, he would get out there and have this big histrionic effort, and that is the filibuster as we knew it until 1975. The other significant date really was just in 2006 when the Democrats took control of the Senate again under George Bush, and the Republicans were in the minority, and then suddenly there was a dramatic historic increase in the number of filibusters, and it's become de facto applied to every single nomination, every single piece of legislation, and of course, as we've seen with the health care bill.
10: It seems that not only the president of the United States, but the media themselves have accepted the filibuster as fundamental political reality without questioning, it seems to me, whether this is good or bad or indifferent for the republic.
12: It's been interesting to me the way press coverage has more or less followed political positioning on this issue since Bill Clinton's uh, first term in office. You'll often find even the New York Times, even the Washington Post, even the Wall Street Journal just kind of slipping in and saying, since it takes 60 votes to pass this bill, blah, blah, blah. You can understand why they do that because it's easier than writing, since it will take 60 votes to break the filibuster and bring this to a vote. But, but it is sort of projecting a reality that way. It, it also is interesting to me that, that when the show uh, was, was momentarily on the other foot. That is, during the Bush administration when the Democrats had a minority in the Senate and they were blocking some judicial nominations, the Republicans made a big deal of this in talking about the need for a clear up or down vote. And during that time, the press was more attentive to that positioning of it and sort of the obstruction than they've been in the recent past where the Republicans have doing it. I suggest that the Republicans are simply better at positioning this for the press than the Democrats have proven to be.
10: So in contextualizing the fairly Byzantine procedural issues here, do you think the press needs to be talking more about the 60-vote majority, less about
12: it, Well, I think the press has done an effective job in getting across the idea you need 60 votes to get things done. What it hasn't done, or very rarely, is explain that this 60 vote requirement is not something handed down by Moses or Madison or George Washington or anybody else, but it's a development of recent history. I think whether it's talking about the filibuster, whether it's talking about up or down votes, whether it's talking about procedural obstacles, I think it would be useful to make clearer to people that the 60 vote requirement is something New, artificial, and perhaps not desirable for the republic.
0: I am more proud of this show and love working on it more than anything else I've ever done in my life. And the members who sign up and stick with the show are the ones who allow me to follow my passion. Members sign up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year to support the show. In return, besides my undying gratitude, they also receive bonus material through the members-only raw feed. This includes audio and video content from the show, and bonus material that would otherwise end up on the cutting room floor. All of this is delivered in organized feeds so members can access what they want and ignore what they don't. If you're a regular listener of this show and appreciate the service it provides, please consider becoming a member by visiting the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks a lot.
6: First, I wanted to share a little bit of gloating uh, from Fox News for you guys. Um, They're ready to rub it in your face, and they seem quite ecstatic about it. And you got to give the devil its due. They did win yesterday. They get to gloat. So enjoy this, clip number eight.
8: Look, I, I, if I had to come up with one word, this, this is a revolution. First,
7: Virginia, then New Jersey, Massachusetts, Stuart? Unbelievable. Even
2: I know that Massachusetts is yeah. a deep
7: dyed blue <laughs> Democrat state. What do you state. mean even you
0: know?
2: I mean, uh, yeah. The what boys like this, okay? But it's, it's astonishing. It is a
7: revolution. Yeah. It'll have a profound impact, impact on politics and policy. I hereby say, health care is dead, and I think cap-and-trade is dead.
6: Well, unfortunately, I pretty much agree. Now health care right now, this current version of the bill is indisputably dead. They say they will not pass it before Brown takes a seat. They don't have sixty senators for this uh terrible compromise they came up with in the first place. So this version is dead. Climate change that, that cap and trade bill was hanging on by a thread anyway. Now it's got no prayer with more Republican votes. But understand the lesson there. What Stuart Varney and Sean Hannity and Fox News Channel are telling you there is great! The establishment wins again. There will be no change in climate change. There will be no change in healthcare reform. We stopped all the change. So, ironically, as you voted for change in Massachusetts, what you nearly guaranteed is that there will be no change. Because the Republican Party is never. Ever going to fight the establishment? They are part and parcel of corp- corporate America, Wall Street, the bankers, etc. That's how they get paid. And they're not going to go fight them. They never have. They're not doing it now, and they never will. Okay? How do I know they're not doing it now? Right now, they're doing re- legislation on financial reform. And Chris Dodd introduced what was in the beginning a fairly tough, I mean, I would have gone much tougher. But, you know, as far as American politics is concerned, a fairly tough version of financial reform in the Senate. It was even tougher than the House version. And guess what happened? Every Republican fought tooth and nail against it. And right now they're breaking ripping it apart, brick by brick, mortar by mortar. So they're going and, and saying, Hey, you know what? Uh the Consumer Protection Agency, we can't have it. We don't want consumers protected. We want the banks protected. Take it down. And right now, Chris Down, we find out actually yesterday, is considered Getting rid of the Consumer Financial Protection Agency altogether. So you will not be protected. Why? The Republicans don't want it. Okay? Uh, Every regulation uh, imposed on the bankers or that they want to impose on the bankers, whether it's on out of control derivatives, out of control leverage, you name it, the Republicans universally oppose the regulation. They want to let the bankers do whatever the hell they want. You think you voted for a change in Massachusetts? No, you voted for the establishment. They suckered you into it, and you see how ecstatic they are. They're like, "Yes, there'll be no change. We got the people to vote for us by tricking them, and they did." Now the question is, how do you respond? Because if you give in to the Sean Hannitys and the Stuart Varneys of the world, and Obama goes, "Okay, you're right. No health care reform. No climate change," I don't know that even he would that whine that much. (laughs) <laughs> when he comes out like that, well, you're gonna play right in their hands if they if you believe Fox News if Obama's stupid enough to believe Fox News channel is right, that what he should do is go further to the right, further to selling out to corporate America, which American people are sick of, well, okay, go in that direction, you'll get none of those changes. And then at the end, In 2010, when the Democrats run for their elections in the House and Senate, and then eventually in 2012 when Obama runs for his election, he'll be able to say, "I brought you no change." Wait a minute, what happened? Because that's what the Republicans want you to do, right? I mean, you just saw it. They don't want you to do take any action on any of these bills. They don't want any reform. So, if you listen to them and you go further right, what possible hope do you have? What argument do you have for the American people? But I tried to be bipartisan. How many Republican votes did you get for your effort? Oh, none. On all these issues. Well, then you failed, didn't you? Well, okay. Well, how about the change you promised? Oh, and you didn't give me any change. Well, then you were a goddamn failure. Look, I'm getting worked up. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna be honest with you. So the question to, for Barack Obama today is: Hey, are you gonna do anything, <laughs> or as they said in Tombstone, or are you gonna s- just sit there and bleed? God, that was a great line. <laughs> Uh, best thing Kurt Russell's ever done. All right, anyway, so you know the guy he slapped in that scene? Billy Bob Thornton, not very well known. Go back and watch it. Anyway, so, Obama, if you don't want to sit there and bleed, here's my suggestion to you, okay? First of all, you want bipartisanship, you don't get bipartisanship by kindly asking the Republicans, by trying to be nice to them. No, ironically, the way you get bipartisanship is you force it on them. What do I mean by that? It doesn't seem like. Wait a minute, bipartisan. How can you force that on things? You can. Watch. Okay. What you say is, look, I'm going to go and rip the bankers a new one. Maybe two or three new ones. Okay. I'm going to put so many holes in them they don't. They're not going to know what to do. Okay. I'm coming for. I'm quoting Tombstone a lot today. (laughs) Tell them I'm coming and I'm bringing hell with me. Now, Republicans, here's your choices. You either say, Oh, you're right, you're right, I'm not with the bankers, and you come and you vote with me a couple of times and all of a sudden I look bipartisan. Or you say, you raise your hand and you say, I am with the bankers. Say it. Say it. Say I'm with the bankers. Okay, that's how you get bipartisanship because you scare the living crap out of them. Okay? Then they go, Okay, 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 I'm not with the bankers, I'm not with the bankers. You win. What do you need me to vote on? Financial reform, okay. That's how you do it. Okay, now but that requires guts. <laughs> okay. But if you don't have the guts, well, you ain't going to get the votes. OK? Here's what I would like to remind the Democrats today. a very important number. You still have 59 senators. They only have 41. It, today it's like the end of the world to the Democrats, And its as if the Republicans regain the majority, they're still down 18 senators. Are you kidding me? Do you know what the Republicans would do with an 18-senator advantage? They would pass any damn bill they wanted to. There isn't a goddamn thing you could do about it. They would steamroll your ass. And you know what they would get, ironically, along the way? I know this because it happened from 2000 to 2008, and I watched it happen. They would get bipartisanship. Because then they say, all right, I'm going to create the uh, world's largest tax cut. Who's with me? If you're not, you want to raise taxes, and you're a goddamn Democrat, and you're raising taxes on the American people. And what happened? The corporate Democrats well like, go. Oh, I want to cut taxes anyway. That's what the lobbyists want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're scaring me. Okay, I vote with you. I'm going to invade Iraq. Shut up and vote with me, otherwise you're unpatriotic. And what happened? He got all those Democrats to vote for Iraq. You see, what Obama's missing, and this is very important, is that the American people like strength out of their politicians and their leaders. Okay. And all Obama's done in the first year, and and why he's getting his ass kicked right now, is exhibited weakness. I hate to tell you that, but it's absolutely true. You know what he's done in this effort to reach out to Republicans? Unilateral disarmament. He said, "Okay, I'm gonna put down all my weapons. I'm not gonna make any arguments against you. I'm not gonna debate you, uh, and you can make any argument you like against me. If it's right, if it's wrong, if it's vicious." If it's ridiculous, oh, I wasn't born in this country, I'm gonna kill your grandparents, it doesn't matter. You make any damn argument you like, and on the other hand, I'm not gonna respond, because I'm trying to be bipartisan. Well, that's not being bipartisan, that's being a fool. Okay? Unilateral disarmament has never worked and will never work in the future. Here's what Obama has to do instead come out and say, you know what I am? I'm a goddamn Democrat. And I'm gonna tell you why being a Democrat is the right way to go. Okay? Because we take on power, we represent the little guys. We brought you Social Security. We brought you civil rights. We brought you Medicare. We brought you everything that has worked in this country. And those sons of bitches fought against everything because they were in the back pocket of Wall Street and corporate America. Okay? And there's a reason why you should vote for us, and a reason why you should vote against them. Barack Obama, if you don't make that case, then why would people vote for you? Of course they're going to vote for the other guy. You're not making your case. You need to have the strength and the courage and the fortitude to go and make a case to the American people and say, you know what? You need to vote for us instead of them. You need to vote. You need to support our politicians so we can get real legislation, real change passed. If he does not go in that direction and he once again chooses weakness and he once again chooses to reach out to the right wing, there will be an absolute democratic bloodbath in 2010 and ironically they will hand back power to the very people who want to protect the establishment the most.
2: Wake of the Massachusetts Senate special election in which the Democrats lost the seat, Republican won it, and there's been much hand-wringing on the part of Democrats in Washington. President Obama delivered a speech in Ohio, taking an aggressive, a newly aggressive populist tone, telling Americans he ran for president to confront challenges, quote, once and for all. By the way, the four most dangerous words in the political lexicon is nothing is once and for all. You know that. Obama used the word fighting 13 times in his speech and the word fight an additional nine times. So that would be you do the math. Uh, Fight and fighting in that speech. One might well ask what's next? Uh, mm. Okay, Mr. President, mm. uh, you've had a chance to go over it. Over what, Rom? I'm the president; I go over everything. You do indeed, sir. I had a, a chance to go over the remarks for the Monday appearance. It's 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 the first chance to be on television since the weekend. Mm. I think they printed it out for me. Yep, yeah, got it. You want to just uh, give it a, a scan in light of what we were talking about earlier—the whole mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. toughness meme. Sure. Mm-hmm. Lighted be returning to the. Backbone of the nation, Poughkeepsie. Mm-hmm. We're calling it the backbone of the nation because... Just, just, just getting the word backbone in is close to the top. Got it, got it, got it. Glad to see Congressman blah, 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 blah. Healthcare reform. As they said in Spinal Tap, we're turning our efforts to pass the bill up to 11. <laughs> Rock reference? Spine. Right. Mm-hmm. With 41 votes, the balls in the Republican's court. Some say we'd be nuts to think they'll stop their obstructionist tactics. I'll just read along here. No good. I can, you know. But Maria Gutierrez of El Cajon, California, who lost her health insurance when she lost her job, wants us to continue, and so do all the other Maria Gutierrez's and all the other El Cajones across America. Kind of a long way around to get Cajones in it. It's our message. Some obstacles still remain in our path. Some balls will still take some odd bounces. Nice return to ball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some details of our bill will surely change, but the guts of the legislation will remain In the negotiations to come, the nuts and blots. I should be bold. Right. Details may sometimes be confusing, but the spine of this story is straight and true. At this point, we have rocks to climb, not a mountain. Wow. John took a rocks reference and went Dr. King on it. Kid's good. <laughs> we read in the old testicle that... You're supposed to do that like a like a Freudian slip, you know, Test, uh, testament. No, no, I don't do mm-hmm. I'll Take this whole Bible thing out. Republicans have lost their marbles if they think blah, blah, blah. I'll leave no stones unturned. Mm-hmm. Testimonials from AARP and AMA. You you just kind of cheat the testy a little. Testimonial. Cheat the testy. I'll do a sticky on it. Mm-hmm. Just as the spine of a book doesn't tell you what's inside that's reaching. Man's reach should exceed yes. what the media are saying after Massachusetts doesn't tell you what's going to happen with health care. That's a good pivot. Yeah, the reach pays off. We will back the whole bill. We will back bare bones version. But we will not back down. Wow. I could have written that. i saying. You tell him just get balls and backbone in there as much as possible, he turns it into goddamn rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Too much. Not enough Okay More prompter in the morning mm. Have a good night I'll try They say you gotta
8: lose a couple fights to win It's hard to tell from where I'm sitting They say that this is where the fun begins Change, I went and cut my hair. They said, Don't take your
2: business to the big time. I bought a stick, it's there. A flag figure speech.
8: I cut my chest wide open. They come and watch
2: us bleed. He ran a very smart campaign. He's a very, very good candidate. And he understood. Uh, the mood of the people of Massachusetts. They want us to to stop the spending, stop the borrowing, and stop the health care bill.
4: Some elections go your way. Some elections go the other way. It's the nature of democratic politics in a very diverse nation.
8: Last night, a shot was fired around this nation. A shot was fired saying, no more business as usual in Washington, D.C. The American people have spoken. The people of
11: Massachusetts have spoken for the rest of America. People of Massachusetts have spoken for the rest of... Just like the people of New York 23 spoke for the rest of America when they put a Democrat in that House seat for the first time since the Civil War, right? Remember how that was for all of America back in November? Yeah, extrapolation fail. Uh, Democratic Congressman Barney Frank made headlines last night with a statement that essentially declared health reform dead in the wake of Scott Brown's election win in Massachusetts. Today, Congressman Frank reversed himself, saying, I have realized that my statement last night was more pessimistic than is called for. I was reacting, perhaps overreacting, to proposals I had heard from a variety of sources that we do things to facilitate the passage of a health care bill that would have sought in the short term to neutralize yesterday's election. I continue to believe that it will be difficult to get the Senate bill passed in the House as is without a commitment to making amendments in that bill that would be necessary to get the votes in the House, but I should not have indicated that I would be opposed to trying that as long as it was done with full regard for procedural fairness." So with that, I didn't really mean what I said yesterday's statement. You can take Barney Frank out of the column of those who have reacted to last night's special election by advocating that the Democrats legislatively surrender in order to wring the maximum possible political benefit out of this one special election, Republicans have been describing that election as a revolution, the Scott heard around the world. And that makes total sense as Republicans spin, right? Obviously, they'd wanna be able to say this wasn't a defeat of candidate Martha Coakley, this was a defeat of all Democrats. Of course Republicans would spin it that way. And many masochistic Democrats like to think of it that way too, Mm, losing. Past the spin, though, um, here's what remains. Democrats have gone from having the largest majority in the Senate since Watergate to having the second largest majority in the Senate since Watergate. They've gone from 60 seats to 59. In April, after Arlen Specter switched parties, the Democrats had 59 seats in the Senate. Today, factoring in the new senator-elect, they also have 59 seats in the Senate. So obviously, this is the end of the world. Even without 60 senators now, Democrats still have giant majorities in both the House and the Senate. And the question is what they're going to do with those majorities now that they don't have their magical, mythical unicorn to play with anymore. We had a really good time making that today. On paper, after Al Franken was finally certified as winning in Minnesota, Democrats had a filibuster-proof 60-seat majority. On paper, that's what they had. But in reality, those 60 votes included a bunch of senators who really had no interest in voting with the rest of the Democrats on much of anything. Their little unicorn, their little myth of 60 reliable votes, led the Democrats to draft policies in a way that they thought maybe could get all of those 60 votes. Instead of working on the most effective possible policies that could still get a majority vote, Democrats have been throwing lassos at this mythical beast, trying to find the perfect, most conservative possible but still theoretically democratic solutions to every problem. In order to earn these sixty votes that they'd love to believe are theirs. And in trying to accommodate guys like Joe Lieberman and Ben Nelson and Evan Bayh, they came up with watered-down Republican-like policies that were, frankly, less effective. Hello, smaller stimulus just for the sake of being smaller. Remember that? The way that you build political momentum is not just by having attractive individual candidates. It's by winning. And it's not just by winning elections, but by being associated with winning policies. Politics and policy are two different things, but they are linked things. By winning elections, you get the ability to affect policy. By affecting good policy, you win more elections. And hitting the 60-vote threshold made Democrats worse at policy. It made them think they could lasso this unicorn. They could get every Democrat on board and still maintain good policy, even when some of those Democrats found it to be in their political interest to just say no to everything in order to be seen as kind of a Republican-ish type of Dem. That unicorn is now gone after last night's special election, and and the choice for Democrats is either to throw up their hands and say, well, the Republicans say we need 60 votes for everything, so I guess we can't ever do anything now. Or they can say, hey, we've got 59 votes. It's not filibuster-proof, so let's not continue to concede that for the first time in American history every single vote of consequence in the United States Senate will be subject to a filibuster and will take 60 votes. Either get rid of the filibuster because it's being abused in a way that it never has been before. Look at that chart. Or at least change the rules of the filibuster or pass everything through reconciliation, where you need 51 votes and not 60. There are limitations to that, but it's not like big policies don't pass this way. That's what President Bush did with his tax cuts in 2001, passed through reconciliation with 58 votes. Bush's tax cuts in 2003, passed through reconciliation with 51 votes. The Deficit Reduction Act of 2005, which reduced spending on Medicaid, passed through reconciliation with 51 votes. You don't have to get 60 votes every time. And now that 60 isn't even theoretically possible, with Republicans pledging to vote no always on everything, now that the mythical unicorn of the 60-seat majority is gone, it's time for Democrats to choose a path forward. Either quit and let the party with 41 votes control the agenda, or fight with 59 votes and give people a reason to vote for you again.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. A couple of really fun announcements today. Uh, Big news revealed finally and so forth. First of all, the Best of the Left just celebrated its fourth birthday on January 29th. And of course, by celebrated, I mean a couple of days after the 29th. I remembered that it was the birthday of the show and I said, oh, shit. Yeah, I should mention that to someone. So that's very exciting news. A uh, huge thanks to all of the listeners. I mean, everyone who's stuck with the show for years and years and every new listener coming right now, uh, you know, you guys make it possible. So four years going strong and here's to the next four or 14 or 40. Before I get to the second big announcement, the big news. You guys remember from like the beginning of the month, uh, a few weeks ago, I was saying there was big, big, huge earth shattering news. Well, I'm going to let you in on it today. Uh, But before I get to that, I want to thank a couple of members because the members are what made the big news possible. First of all, Susan G signed up on November 2nd and went ahead and signed up for a full year in advance. Thanks so much, Susan. And David W just signed up on January 20th and went above and beyond the minimum membership donation amount. And so I wanted to get him in early and thank him for his generous membership donations. So a huge thanks to both of these members. Every other member I've ever mentioned, every member I have yet to mention but hope to eventually get to one day, and to every listener out there who will eventually sign up for membership this month or next month or the following and so on, these are the people who have made this giant news possible. Now don't get too excited, I can tell already, I've pumped it up too much and now you're really excited because you think something really good is going to happen for you personally. Um, And that's not the case. (laughs) The big news is that when I came back from my holiday vacation in the beginning of January, I was greeted with the news at my quote-unquote real job with my nonprofit organization, uh, you know, Fighting Climate Change in D.C. I was greeted with the news that my services would no longer be needed beyond the middle of February. And I got to be honest, this was something I was not surprised to hear. If you've been following the show for a while and you've been listening to me talk about this, you know, just on and off every once in a while, then you may know that when the big recession hit, when it really hit, it had a big impact on funding for nonprofit organizations. And so, of course, my nonprofit was affected and hence my hours were affected and my salary was affected and it was at that moment that I decided to attempt to monetize this podcast as a way of supplementing my income by sheer necessity. So that was how everything got started. And then more recently, I've been continuing to do that part-time work at the nonprofit, but their funding has kind of been at least somewhat rejuvenated to the point where they need someone to work full-time to do the work that I do. And my response when, when they asked if I would come back and work full-time full, t- full time was that I, I can't do that. I I made a commitment to my listeners, first of all, that I, I was going to do two shows a week from, from that point forward, you know, from, from about eight months ago or whatever. I said, I, I'm, I, I'm committed to do two shows a week. And secondly, a, a bunch of members have signed up and they signed up to support the show so that I could fulfill that promise. So I can't I can't go back and work full-time or I won't have time to fulfill the promises to the podcast that I've made. So ever since that moment that they offered me the, the position to come back full-time, I knew that they weren't particularly happy with me working part-time and that there may come a moment when... They asked me to step aside so that they could hire someone full-time. And that's exactly what happened in the beginning of January. So this whole time, as this process has been going along, I've been thinking of every single member that signs up. Every time I get an email that says I got a new member and I respond and send them an email with all the details about it, every one of those, I have been imagining and thinking of them as one more puff of air being blown into a life raft and I'm absolutely not kidding about that for months and months now every new member I think there's another one there's another I'm blowing up this life raft in the event that I need it I'm getting there I'm getting there I'm getting there I'm gonna be okay so thanks to all of the members who have signed up so far and everyone who's considering it now and will eventually sign up you are the people I have to thank for the fact that when he let me know that my position was no longer going to belong to me because they needed to hire someone full-time, that my response to him was that that was okay and I would be okay and that I wouldn't need to go look for another job to fill my time. I'm nowhere near getting rich from this podcast, nowhere near it, but I do not have to immediately join the ranks of the quote-unquote unemployed and be stressed out of my mind trying to figure out what i'm going to do next with my life so that's what i'll say about it for now i'm sure this is going to come up over and over and consistently through the next weeks and months but that's the news for now and i just think there's no better time than on an anniversary of the show to be able to to know and say that this is truly as it has always been a community supported podcast from the very early days, it was supported by people who sent in clips you know, for me to use in the show, and now it's supported by by members that allow me to, to gather all the clips myself and put the shows together and have the time to do the show as I do. So I just can't say thank you enough times and will continue to do so until you're sick to death of hearing me say it. So that is it for today. Of course, consider supporting the show. Just tell all of your friends about it if you're interested in Memberships, Check that out at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. If you want to make an individual donation and not be signed up for the monthly membership donation, that's perfectly fine as well. That option is also available on the website right on the homepage or on the donation tab and so forth. Beyond those couple of things, there's a bunch of stuff you can do for absolutely free to support the show. All of those details are in the support the show box, the big orange box on the right side of the website. Check that out. You can stay connected with the show between episodes by following us on uh, Twitter at twitter.com slash best of left and facebook.com slash best of the left. And finally, if you need any of the links to the sources or any of the music we used in this or any episode, those are always available on the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the beltway and border yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, DC. My name is Jay, and this has been the best of left podcast delivered to you every Wednesday and every weekend. Thanks, of course, and always to members and donors from bestoftheleft.com.
11: Light,